Um, today's reading comes from Acts 28, 1 to 16. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Putioli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. This is God's word. Praise the Lord. Thank you, sis. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. We don't take it for granted, knowing that uh, there's places in our world even now uh, where having Bibles and preaching your gospel can lead you to death. And so thank you for giving us this opportunity to equip one another and to uh, image you. And Lord, we just pray right now. We just need to hear from you, Christ. Uh, Holy Spirit, fill us and guide us. Protect this room. Allow your word to enter into hearts that are hurting and to uh, be good news. Uh, We pray that people who don't know you would have a glimpse of who you are and would want to receive you as their king. They want to receive the payment um, that you've given uh, for for their sin, Lord. That they would want to experience true life, Lord. And for those of us who have experienced your revelation and you have drawn us to yourself and you saved us, Lord. May you encourage our hearts all the new to fight the fight well, to run a race with integrity, uh, to submit to you, to walk with you, to enjoy you. Lord, would you speak through me? Would you use me, Lord? And I humbly stand blown away that I get to lead and shepherd knowing that it's by your grace. So, Lord, I pray it would not be just my skill or uh, my study, but truly your spirit moving right now. Uh, that you would work in the lives of our people and my, in my own life, Lord. We love you. We praise this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated, family. Hope you guys are doing well. Um, man, it's parting. You see my man Dave right there has um, Bibles for you. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'd love to give, give you a Bible. want you to uh, be comfortable with the text. And so we uh, see it as important for you to have the scriptures in your in your grasp. 
Got a little, oh, thank you, a little fan. Uh, we go through books of the Bible in our local community. Uh, right now, we are in the book of Acts. Uh, super excited, love, just singing out to God and just seeing us just enjoy the Lord together. And now we get to uh, continue to worship Jesus through our time of, of being in the scriptures. Uh, we are uh, going through uh, Acts. We have actually two more weeks. We have this week and next week. And then, guys, you will have completed another book in the Bible by God's grace. Praise the Lord, right? Yep. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful for our local body. I know we take, we take a lot of time going through books, and I appreciate your guys' stamina in Christ and, and uh, re- rejecting the lies that we can't just walk through word to word and, and get equipped, you know? Uh, God is doing his thing. Um, yeah, if you need books, just go ahead and raise your hand, Bibles. And if you actually need a Bible when you get home, let us know too. We would love, if you, if you, we would love to provide those with you. We, just want, we want people to have the word of God and be knowing the word of God. Um, we're in Acts uh, chapter 28. We had a great time. I have a great, strong preaching team, by God's grace, of uh, elders and leaders in our body. And, and uh, Jonathan did a great job going through uh, the end of Acts uh, 27 uh, last week. Um, and basically, we're reaching a conclusion right now in Acts 28. Uh, I'll go ahead and do a more of a, uh, a full or unabridged summary uh, next week. Uh, this week, we're going to jump right in and uh, probably make a few observations and uh, hopefully uh, head home and be encouraged in the gospel and, and, and deal with me and give me grace as I got this huge echo kind of thing going on. So just um, like get past the technology and just focus on what God is saying in his word. All right, guys? Amen. Uh, we see Paul. It was interesting uh, is when you get to Acts 27, uh, you see Paul talking a lot about arriving in Rome. In fact, he talks about it uh, twice uh, in Acts 27. Uh, which, which, which is exciting because you've, he's been revealed uh, by God that he was going to uh, go to Rome for, uh, for Christ's sake. And, and so you've seen a lot happen basically in his journey in chapter 27 and actually even before that, uh, trying to move toward uh, this goal that God had had for him. And so now you see it says twice, I think, because Luke is trying to help you understand who actually wrote Acts and also who wrote the book of Luke. He's trying to help you understand that, man, God is actually uh, keeping his promises, right? That's what he's trying to do. Now, this, um, this journey that he's been on has lasted probably two and a half months since uh, the, re- the revelation of him actually going to be going to Rome and actually being in Rome. Uh, he's been uh, 14 days, we learned last week. He was in this, you know, basically this hurricane and these storms and all this stuff. He was at sea for about 14 days or so, uh, fighting winds. Um, Euroclidon is what they called the hurricane in history. A nor'easter hurricane is what he was in back in the day. Uh, and then we see that God, in that journey, uh, saves uh, 270-something people, 276 to be specific, uh, off the boat, right? But the way he does it is awesome, right? I mean, the boat gets tore up. Uh, the guy thinks I'm going to go ahead and kill all these men or I'm going to end up dead myself. And then we see basically a centurion saying we can't kill any of these guys because God, that dude's God said that, hey, we got the ship has to break up. It has to be destroyed. And everybody right, doesn't get touched. And then if that happens, basically, we'll make it here alive. So basically, I think it wasn't just his influence on Paul, that Paul had influence on him. I think he heard the prophecy I mean, you know, Paul telling him, here's what has to happen. And so that centurion wanted to make sure that no one messed up 
what the prophecy had said so that people wouldn't end up dead. And so now you get 270-some people. Can you imagine? I mean, think of a ship breaking up. And these guys, I mean, maybe some of them can swim, some of them could. I mean, they're all, let's say, they're floating on little pieces of the ship. And they all kind of fall up on shore. And not one of them gets lost. Not one of them. I mean, it's a lot of people. This, this room, if it's packed, just holds 258. Okay, just to give you a little picture of how many people that is. So, now, what, as you read the rest of this story, it, it's a hard, it's an interesting story because it comes off uh, like an adventure story. Uh, but I want to propose to you that, that God is really trying to remind us something uh, that, you know, as a pastor, I have to renew my mind, y'all, because uh, he's trying to remind us that God keeps his promises. Right? And then, and some of us, you know, and this is where we're all just growing in our faith, right? Some of us, we don't get, we don't get tired of God's promises. Um, you know, we, we hear the same promise and we can still say, Lord, I need to hear that. And then if you're like me, I started to feel like, well, you talked about faith last week, Eric. Let's talk about something different. Or you talked about faith, you know, for five weeks in a row. Let's talk about something different. And, and, I, and in my mind, I'm going, yeah, I feel like, man, we need to find something different. But then the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, won't let me be disobedient in that way. I want to propose to you, uh, as, as we try to shepherd you, uh, the reason why you see us talking about faith. I mean, think about how many sermons in Acts. We've been doing Acts for about a year, and a, a year and a half. And I mean, that's being generous probably. Okay? And think of how many times that the end of the sermon has been, God got you. Or trust the Lord. I mean, I try to say faith in so many different synonyms. I'm in a dictionary. Like, Is there another synonym to this? Because I can't... And you know why, though? You know why? I wonder if it's because we need to hear it over and over again. I wonder if we need to hear a fresh word every week. That, man, God is, God is faithful. That, remember, hey, don't. See, when we fall into sin, when we choose sin, you know what we're saying? That God isn't faithful. God isn't good. It's a mar on God's character when we do these things, right? Because we're saying, at that point, we're not trusting God. So I'm convinced that God knows what he's doing and that he keeps allowing these writers like Luke and other individuals to share what seems to be a very simplistic truth, but to share it in so many ways that we can see it through testimony. We can see it through oration when people are speaking. We can see it through unbelievers. We can see God's hand and how he is faithful so that when you and I leave here, this place, and we and in 10 minutes... We have a faith crisis issue. And I'm not just talking about, you know, you find out you have cancer or something. I'm talking about faith crisis as in, are you going to lie on the phone? <laughs> you know, are you going to tell someone something that's not true? Are you going to be jealous? <laughs> right? I'm talking about that normal stuff that we all go through day in and day out where God is asking you and me to choose faith. To choose Christ. Right? To quit playing. Right? Right? So I'm convinced he's trying to do some stuff here, y'all. He's trying to teach us and model. I think Luke is like, I want you to see that God is keeping his promise. Look at verse 1. So again, I want to remind you, you can find all the rest of the sermons um, uh, on, our, on our website. I'm not going through the brief uh, summary like we always do. I do want you to know Paul was an unbeliever. Uh, he was persecuting Christians, getting Christians killed. He becomes a Christian. He believes that, man, I can't pay for my own sin. This Jesus figure lived on, lived on earth, 
lived a perfect life, knew no sin, claimed to be God, did miracles, walked, lived, and acted like he was God. And then everyone thought he was crazy. And then people killed him because the Jews felt like, well, some felt that he was crazy. Some people felt like he was going to have more power. It was a power issue for some people. It was religiosity for other people. It was jealousy for other people. But they killed Jesus. They murdered Jesus. And then in murdering Jesus, Satan thought he had won. But actually in murdering Christ, all of the sin of the world was put on the lamb, the spotless lamb. So actually in killing Jesus, he saves the world. Praise the Lord. And then Jesus just doesn't end up being a dead dude, right? He wouldn't have saved the world if Jesus stayed dead because I can die. That's real easy, right? All of us are going to die. That's easy to do. What's very impossible to do is to be a dead man and get up and live three days later. Right? So then Jesus gets up and lives three days later, which validates that all the things he said, all the things he did, and all the things that he's telling us are actually true. Right? And so then Paul realizes this when he falls off his horse, and Jesus says, you're persecuting me. I'm actually a king. Here's what I want you to be about. Paul begins to preach the gospel to the, world, to the known world, and the people that he didn't even know uh, were around, traveling to places he had never been before. Um, and we get to this point where he's almost he died. He almost dies a few times. He gets in fights. He gets, I mean, he's, he's all over the place. And right now he's in, he's in prison and he's being, um, asked to share his testimony, uh, all kinds of things go crazy there where they put him on a boat to go to Rome because he can appeal to Caesar because he's a Roman citizen. So what we have today is this is Paul who was supposed to go see and be, go to Rome to appeal his case to Caesar himself. And he's on the road, gets into this crazy storm. Almost gets killed, but in, but in all actuality, these people believe him that, man, this guy knows what he's talking about, and they all get saved, and now they get washed up on this island. Verse 1. After we were brought safely through, when we learned that the island uh, was called Malta, um, basically saying, hey, so we, we're, we're, all this stuff happens, the shipwreck happens, the ship breaks up, everyone falls out all on the boat. Uh, the guy, the centurion decides to not kill the, end of the, uh, the, the prisoners because he was scared he was going to be killed uh, if he had come to Rome without the prisoners he was supposed to have. Paul, uh, obviously he doesn't do that. All these guys wash up on shore. They don't really know where they are for, at first. And here they are at this place called Malta. Um, just for you, uh, let's go to verse 2, I'm sorry. The native people showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because they had begun to rain and was cold. So, so imagine they get up in this place. And actually, some of these guys have probably been there before, uh, some seamen, because this is actually a, um, a place that people would port. And so these guys actually get up on the land. And all of a sudden, it's these native people. And the native, you know, the word is like barbarians. Uh, but what it's really talking about is basically a native tongue. These people spoke a different language. They're a different people group. Well, these guys uh, show them great kindness. Right? These people don't know him at all. And it says they, they, they show him unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain. It was cold. So it's getting cold. 270-some people. These natives get these guys warm, which is interesting to me. Can you imagine how big the fire had to be if you got 270-some people warm? Unless it just had like 100 campfires. 
Who knows? But I wonder if there was big, some big bonfires because they're trying to get all these people warm. But in all actuality, what we see is these people are kind of caring for them. Now, what I want to pause here, this is, this is kind of a side theology issue. I want to talk about the issue of common grace. I just thought to myself, does our body understand what common grace is? Because I think it's important, as we're continually teaching you, that you understand what common grace is because I think it helps you be on mission in our community. Um, have you heard that term, that theological term, common grace? Let me talk about it real quick. Let me just, in a nutshell... Um, basically, this, 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 this is a theological term that, may, that is used a lot of times, mostly with like reformers, people who are more like us, reformed in our faith. And what it is, now don't miss this, it's a, it's a non-saving grace, a merited favor that's at work in the broader reaches of human culture, okay, uh, interaction. So, so my point is... Um, Common grace is something that's given by God, not to just those who are his people, which is us, but he gives it to the whole world, right? He gives, he gives it to people who are not God's children, okay? So that means unbelievers receive common grace, uh, which means, uh, in a nutshell, there are certain things, there's certain there's attributes that, that even unbelievers, uh, they, they are born and made fearfully and wonderfully in the image of God, Okay? Uh, now, their image is marred because of sin, just like ours. We get redeemed and rebirthed, uh, the sad reality, and we get salvific grace, right? And then within that salvific grace, we also experience that grace of being a covenant member. Does that make sense? Okay. Whereas uh, an unbeliever gets common grace. And one of the ways, for example, they get common grace is they have attributes that they can do like, like the Lord, right? They, unbelievers uh, can be kind like God, right? Uh, now, their kindness isn't pleasing to God, but it actually pleases fellow man. That makes sense? Uh, I bring this up because I was just looking at this and thinking, you know, sometimes in my journey, maybe in your journey, we can kind of go through life if we're not careful, and we can kind of have, like, we have our Christian world, and then we kind of can look at unbelievers as that not really having much to offer. Does that make sense? We can kind of see it as like, hey, I'm, you know, when, a, when an unbeliever talks, we can kind of feel like, uh, or we can kind of put ourselves in this kind of mindset of, I know we want to be like uh, in the world, but not other world. But we also want to celebrate and enjoy what God has made in the world. Okay. And so I think this is very important for us to understand that unbelievers cannot preach pure unadulterated wisdom without the Lord. Right. That, we get that. But unbelievers have a lot of good qualities to offer. And I say that so that you can value unbelievers as you're ministering to unbelievers. It's not a hustle. It's not like I really don't value you much, but I want you to become a Christian, right? But it's actually unbelievers, because they're creating the image of God, have God's grace. And so we want to celebrate and enjoy and learn from unbelievers and culture. And then we want to be wise and learn how to make sure that we can discern what's from God and what's not from God as we are connecting with unbelievers. Does that make sense? John. That's a good question. I'm not, you know what, as I look at the different uh, commentaries I've read, they didn't mention much of Luke, so I'm not really sure. So I got to table that question. I got to go do some research and I can get back to you and I can let the body know uh, next week uh, if Luke is actually there. That's a really good question. Thank you, buddy. And by the way, if you're new here, uh, we ask questions just so we can know more about the Bible and not just be smarter, but lead toward worship, you know. 
So just so I know that. So I feel like uh, just understanding common grace provides the basis for Christians to cooperate and learn from non-Christians. That's all. I just want to throw that commercial out there. Just be, just be thinking about that as you're doing life um, with unbelievers and loving on unbelievers. And then what we see here is we see an example of that. We see these unbelievers being kind and loving uh, to these guys. Well, it says, um, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, so Paul's picking up a bunch of sticks. So here's Paul still trying to serve, which is cool that Luke would show that. And, all, and basically, I guess one of the sticks was a viper, right? Um, and it says, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they, saw, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. So a couple things happening here. So, so the author wants us to see, we have this viper pop up, he gets bitten, and we even get to see the whole, this is the, this is the I would say, the, uh, the opposite spectrum of common grace. What common grace also does, uh, Romans 1 tells us, it affirms when, you, when you're operating in that grace that God has given us, it affirms that, that God does exist and is actually a sign of judgment. Right. It's like so right now, these guys, when they, they look and they're looking and they're, they're modeling that they know that there's good and evil. Right. Because and we don't know if they've heard the gospel ever. But obviously he gets bitten. And the first thing they say is say, man, this mother, this brother must have been doing something really evil because it seems like, you know, some bad things happen to him. Right. So they're superstitious. Right. And they use this, this J word this justice is not like justice like we think, but it's actually a God. It's actually a, a proper noun. And so they're saying, man, that, that this justice God has gotten them. So, man, and it seems like, you know, bad things happen to bad people. So they're, in, they're superstitious. And the reason why we know that is because when you say that, man, when you do bad things, bad things happen to you. So the, the, normal, the normal recollection is, well, if you do good things, good things happen to you. Correct. How many of us believe that? How many of us believe, man, you know, when I do good stuff, good things are going to happen to me. Yeah, right. If we're honest, right, we don't, don't want to raise their hand because you want to be a good Christian. But, you know, if, if you're looking at our hearts, we, we, know, we know theologically that's inaccurate, but practically we sometimes live like that. We find ourselves have things happening to us and we start looking around going, what's in my closet? What do I need to clean up? Right. And, hey, and you know, here's the funny thing. We don't know when we get to, when we get to heaven, we're with Jesus. He might tell us I had to do some discipline because of some stuff you did. So we don't know. Sometimes God is, you know, the consequence of the things that you're doing. You are experiencing that. But, but it's superstition to actually think that when you do good, you get good. You do bad, you, do, you get bad because that puts you in God's place. And it also, it, it, it really thwarts the issue of grace, right? The issue of grace, the beauty of grace is that you always get what you don't deserve, right? I mean, like we're, we're under the bubble of grace right now in our world. I mean, if God really let us be evil, as evil as we were, it would be much crazier right now. Like the re- you know, so when something happens bad in our community, you know, we're always like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe a person got shot, right? And you know what? But that's, that's, that's talking from a grace perspective. When you really think about the, the, the depravity of man and how evil we are, we should be saying, wow, I can't believe more people to get shot based on how evil we are. You see that? But the reality is God is gracious to us, and he doesn't even allow the potency of our evil to find itself out in this world. Because if he did, we would be much more crazier. It'd be much more evil, you, and, right? So, so actually, just the way that we can sit here and not be clawing each other's eyeballs out right now is a testament to God's grace, right? Because that's how jacked up we are, right? And so, in essence, uh, these guys are modeling their, their superstition. Uh, they see this man, that something must be grown with this brother. And then... 
It says, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped the sea, justice is not allowed him to live. I'm going to keep rolling. I'm going to come back to uh, what I, I think is going on here. Um, he, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Love this. So first, I love the sense of it showing God's existence again. These guys showing they have a, they understand there's good and evil, which shows like, well, if you think there's good and evil, uh, again, Tim Keller's talking about the sense of like, well, then you got to know what your purpose is to even determine if something's good and evil. And when you think it right, because if something is good, then you're saying that it has a purpose. And then you determine it based on if it's used in that way, if it's good or bad. And so basically these guys, by saying, man, this is, this is a bad thing, they're modeling that. I believe that there's something bigger than us here in this world. And then we see Paul, I love this miracle piece. He gets bitten by a viper. And I love miracles because when you think about it, he shakes the, he shakes the viper off. And I don't want to read into this, but I just want us to understand that God's miracles are just different in the way we perceive. Like, it's not like he just didn't die, Okay. It's, the, the way the text looks like, it's like it didn't even hurt, right? It's like, like it didn't even swell up, right? Like it had absolutely no effect, right? It's almost like, like, oh, there's a snake on me. You know, he'd throw it off and all the guys were going, and I love the, the brothers looking at him like, oh man, he about to die. And they, you know, he doesn't die immediately, right? But then they, they, they kind of go, oh, you know, this is, just a, this is one of those long venom ones. We know it's going to take a little time. He's going to take a little time. This is a, you know, and they're just kind of checking him out. Because they're like, man, this brother, he just got bitten by a snake. Well, it falls off. They're looking. What's going on here? It says, they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. So they just watch them. Right? They're all, everybody's embarrassed. Oh, he got bitten. I'm sorry, man. You know, just, we don't know what to do. Just looking at him. He doesn't, he doesn't swell up. He doesn't fall down dead. And it says, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god, which again affirms again their, uh, their pagan tree and their sense of like that, man, there's a judgment here and they're believing in the God. So, so all of a sudden they're waiting for him to die. He doesn't, they, they go from you're, you know, you didn't do bad things. You're actually a God. And here's what I think, here's what I think is going on here. I put, I think verses one through seven, but I'm going to stop there because I think the meaning is just the first stage is one through six. Um, if you can go to the next slide, I think what's happening here is that Luke is trying to actually uh, kind of retell the, go- uh, the gospel impact that happens on sinful man. I think that I think I think that, that Paul, I mean, that, that Luke is kind of going, you know what? I mean, my last chapter here, I want to explain very clearly again, like the good news of Jesus. And I want to do it through retelling the story. And one thing we are so convinced of as a local body, and we try to show you over and over again of how you have a huge narrative in the Bible. And then you have, which is Jesus being the king of all. And then you have throughout the Bible, all these little narratives that kind of retell the story of who Jesus is and what he's done in the world. And let me give you some examples of why I think this is God just trying to uh, show the gospel impact on sinful man. And he's, he's using Luke to tell the story. So first, he calls them barbarians in, verses, uh, in the beginning of the verses, right? And, it's, and this term is used many times uh, in the Old Testament for enemies of God, okay? So I'm perceiving that what he's doing, the Septuagint translation, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, he's talking about you have these sinful people uh, who, who all have this common grace, 
right? So basically, they're all accountable to God, right? Romans 1 uh, talks about this issue of common grace very clearly, that because of this grace that God has given the whole world to see, to look at a leaf and go, man, there must be a creator, the whole world to, to be able to be kind and, and do things that God would do, like basically in that, that common grace, basically we are saying that there must be a righteous judge over us, right? So I think what God is doing here is he's saying you have a sinful people who have common grace, uh, who are held accountable because they're not righteous, because these guys obviously made it clear that there's righteous people and unrighteous people. But then look at this. This is interesting. This is this is what made me believe that, man, I think there is a correlation here. He gets bitten by a snake right in this moment. And all of them are waiting for him to die. And they're believing that he's a murderer. Right. And actually, they're right. He is a murderer. Now, when you think about being bitten by a snake, it reminds me of John chapter 3. You can turn there, John chapter 3, verse 13 through 14. I think it's up here too. I don't know for sure. Um, Here's what it says. John chapter 3. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus about what does it mean to see Christ lifted up, right? And it says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, right? So you go, well, what is he talking about? The serpent in the wilderness, right? So what happens? Where is this from? This is from Numbers, okay? So Numbers 21, verse 6 through 9 this is what he's talking about. So Jesus is like, hey, just as, the, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, I must be lifted up. Well, it says in, Mo, in, in Numbers, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take, that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed to the people, prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on the pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Okay? So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So that means there's a serpent, people get bitten, there's good people getting bitten in the wilderness, there's bad people get bitten in the wilderness, they would get bitten, and if people would get bitten and not look at the snake, they would die. But the only way that they would actually live is they would have to look at the snake, at the serpent that actually Moses lifted up. So Jesus is saying, just as the only way to life, as it were, or the only way to salvation, as it were, for all those people was not, you know, antidotes and all these other things. It was looking at the serpent that Moses had lifted up. I must be lifted up. That just as if that was the only way for people to be saved, Jesus is saying this is the only way salvation comes to man is through lifting me up. So what happens here is when you see Paul gets bitten by this serpent and he lives, I think he is a practical demonstration of the story that we're seeing played out in Numbers. And now we see Jesus talk about in John chapter 3 that actually here you have a murderer who actually should be killed should die and actually he doesn't he doesn't die but he lives and the only reason he lives is because he is looking toward Jesus right and so I say all I had to say that I think what what Luke was trying to kind of do in the beginning stages of the passage was trying to show that you had a barbarian group who did not know the gospel and what Jesus was doing right now was actually presenting the gospel by God's grace through Paul in a practical way, right, through a miracle of saying, hey, you see what just happened? 
I'm still alive. Now you must want to know why, right? Which opens up the conversation that we're going to see in a little bit. So I think the first stage is that God is trying to make it really clear again that we must only look to Christ for our salvation. Now, he goes on and he says, I didn't read verse 7. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Okay, so the head guy comes. We, again, we get to see common grace, God being kind to him, caring for him. And it says, it happened that the father of Publius uh, lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him and healed him. Which indicates, again, you have, the, you have the miracle. And now more people are saying, man, you just did a miracle. So more people come over and want to get the miracle. And all this is doing, this is basically just validating that actually Paul is an agent of God. Right? So that now all your superstitions, all your fake gods, kind of just kind of get them out of your mind. Because I'm trying to show you by God's grace. He's brought me here to show you you're a sinful man. You need God. You need a savior. And I'm going to give you a practical demonstration of this guy who gets bitten and he's still alive. And now he's not only being saved by God, but he's being used by God to, to bring God's message. Right? So it says, and Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. So here he is. I'm God's agent. And verse nine, and when he had taken, uh, and when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who also had, who had diseases also came and were cured. All right. Now we've, we've talked about this over and over again, is that, man, whenever you see these kind of miracles happening in the Bible, this is not... Paul just trying to show off or anything like that. Every, many times you see miracles happen in the Bible is to validate, right, who, who the messenger is, right, so that he can speak for the one he's being a messenger for, right? So this is him just saying, I'm truly, I'm truly God's messenger because I'm doing things that only God could equip me to do, okay? But notice this, it says, they also honored us greatly, verse 10, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in the ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin guys as a figurehead. All right. So, so if, I, if, I, if, if you didn't think that the first stage was him presenting the gospel, right, then I want to ask you a question now, too. Did you notice something very weird here that's missing? Notice. It's been three months there. We saw miracle after miracle. And you know, this is one of the first times in Acts that Paul, you don't see, there's no description of him presenting the gospel. You notice that? You don't see one mention of Jesus or, hey, let me tell you why I did this, why your daddy healed. Like none of that. You notice that? There's no presentation at all. Now, wait a minute. Is that kind of unlike Paul? Absolutely, right? And, and what's hilarious, this is an environment where finally people like him, right? Now, you, throw some, you get some axes and some stones, he want to tell you about Jesus and get beat down. But he, these guys are like, we love you, Paul, we like you. And can we hang out? And, and you don't see any description. What I want to propose, and again, this is an argument of silence, and you know I always speak against never doing arguments of silence and making theologies out of them. I think I'm safe in this one moment that the re- <laughs> right? So I'm going to be a total hypocrite. Um, is that when he says the term, first, first of all, he was there three months. 
So I, I definitely don't think that Paul was there for three months, did all the miracles that we're seeing, and we don't see no, no converts, no Christians. Nobody gets the gospel. I'm proposing in the beginning, he used that story of what he saw to preach what I even shared with you guys to show them that all your gods are kind of false and you actually need to know the true God, the one who healed me because I am a murderer. But the only reason why I'm saved is because I looked to Jesus, right? I didn't look to my own fake gods. And the reason why you're seeing me heal all these other people, because I'm God's messenger to tell you the message of salvation. Okay. And then it says, they also honored us greatly. So see, that sounds to me, you know what that sounds to me? It sounds to me like when he left Ephesus. Remember, he was there planting some churches, hanging with these guys, preaching the gospel, and then they leave. And remember, they cared for him, they prayed for him, they loved him, they brought the crying and stuff. It seems the same sense of like they honored, me, they honored us greatly. So my point there is that what God is doing right now is he's used the, he used those miracles to affirm who Paul is so that he might be ministering to these guys. And then what you see in verses 7 through 10 is basically God kind of showing him ministering, basically saying, hey, first, Jesus is, is the focus of salvation and that God's gospel is going to the other ends of the earth. So we're seeing right now that these barbarians who are off in the middle of nowhere, right, are getting the gospel by Christ. And so I'm proposing that what Luke is trying to do for the people, for the readers and trying to encourage the saints is that, wow, God is keeping his promises. He is allowing the gospel to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And so we're seeing here we are on some island somewhere, and God is allowing a shipwreck to allow 200-something people. And guess what? He's not just ministering to those guys in Malta. You also got the 276 so, you know, prisoners who are hearing the gospel too, right? They're seeing the gospel. And so he's, he's, he's proclaiming the gospel and you got the fake gods here. And I, I love what Luke does here. This is just again for free. At the end of Luke 10, I mean, Luke uh, acts right here, 28 verse 10. It says, he gets on the ship with the twin guys as a figurehead. Why did he put that in there? Like, why is that? Why did that matter at all? That he had it. I wonder if it's again this whole sense of, I mean, what we've called common grace. Paul just want to remind people what he talks about in Corinthians and Romans. That, you know what, don't get all bent out of shape. Like, I'm not, he, didn't, he didn't go, I'm not getting on that boat. They got those fake guys on the front. Right? <laughs> He's like, it's a statue. Right? He didn't, it, it was a boat to him. And I think he's trying to model, he's trying to model healthy Christianity uh, to those readers when they're reading, they're thinking about how to live life in Christ. And when they're confronted to contradictions with what they believe and how they live in the world, right? And what do you do with that when you are asked to be in an, an environment that, that people are superstitious or, or you got people having fake things all around? You know, I, just, I just won't go in there because those fake spirits. Well, he didn't think like that. He thought it was a boat. You see what I'm saying? And so I think there's something that God is trying to teach us about healthy spirituality when we understand that, man, God, Jesus reigns, he's the king, and all this other stuff that's fake and false. Finally, the scripture says, putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. Uh, And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Petioli. 
Is that Putioli? I love how she said it. I was, I was excited to see Sarah was reading. I was like, I'm going to learn how to pronounce this word today. So, um, so basically, he goes to all these places, and he's now getting closer to Rome, which is the goal. He's like 150 miles from Rome now. Um, and it says in verse 14, there were found brothers um, and were invited to there. When they got there, were found brothers and invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. You know why that's encouraging? Again, Luke is trying to continue to talk about the gospel going forth. Paul getting to the mission that God called him to be, to be in Rome. And also that the man, God is doing his work. And so guess what? He goes to a place near Rome and people, there's Christians there. You know what that means? The gospel has been going forth. He hasn't been there yet. But there's brothers who are welcoming and saying, what's up, man? You know what? This dude told me about Jesus. She told me about Christ. So the word is getting out. The gospel is being proclaimed. And it says, um, and so then it, starts, it says, there were found brothers and we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. I love the way he says that there. Just a sense of, man, we, we're at where God told me we we're going to be at, right? And the brothers there... Which, by the way, when I keep seeing this we, I'm more convinced that Luke is with them. Um, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius and uh, three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Now, one more, a couple more things, and then we're going we're to go home and enjoy the Lord. Uh, I love the fact in this text here, as we're seeing God just continually show us the, the passion and excitement and desire to, to see his name proclaimed. That you still see Paul needs a little more encouragement. I want you to notice that. So he's traveling. He's got, you know, all the other prisoners. He's, they've, he's been able to encourage the people in their faith. But right here, for some reason, I think it, had, I think it really ministered to him because Luke wanted us to see that it meant, it meant something to him when he was traveling and maybe like 40 miles outside of the city. Some Christian, because he, now he's, he's still, remember, he's still, in, he's still a prisoner. I think we forget, he's not hanging out. I mean, he's still a prisoner. And he's going to talk to Caesar, and pretty much we all realize that he's going to die in Rome. So he's going, he's probably a little nervous, probably wondering, you know, he talks about in some of the epistles that everybody deserted him, okay? And so it's cool, in this stage, we see a few Christians come and meet him, travel 30, 40 miles and say, Paul, we're with you. We know you're around. We love you. We care for you. And I'm convinced that, man, that, that had to, this was like 40-something miles outside to greet him. I, I'm, I'm convinced that it had to encourage him. Okay, God is faithful. And that's, and to me, that's why I'm like, okay, this is why it matters to us. Because if Paul, after doing all that he's done, after being encouraged again through seeing the people come to Christ, some, some, somebody came to Christ, I'm, I'm pretty confident in Malta. And then being able to head out and have Christians encourage him to see that he still needed encouragement. He still needed encouragement. He still needed, God saw fit for him to just say, you're doing all right, Paul. I thought, huh, that's a good word for me. Because I tell y'all, I need encouragement. I realize I need encouragement. And it says in uh, verse 16, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him, which kind of looked like this. Can you imagine? Probably didn't want to be the soldier, right? Because you you, you're basically shackled to Paul. So wherever he goes, you go. And Paul always tells the gospel. So the guy either probably heard the gospel a hundred times and came to Christ or wanted to jump off a building. You know, I mean, it's probably crazy. So he's with Paul the whole time. 
Paul has people visiting him, uh, encouraging him, had his own house. Um, so what's going on here? Why all this? Well, I talked about it throughout. I'm convinced that it's nothing short of, of Paul just basically looking and saying, Luke, I want you to just remind the people that God got me here. Here I am. God got me here. God rescued me. You know? I mean, you, you wonder, it might have been important to remember that. Man, when, you know, we don't know exactly how Paul died historically. Uh, but, but there's historical consensus that they believe he was beheaded. And, you know, I'm convinced that it probably was important for him to hear that, to, to, to hear that word and to be reminded and to, to tell the saints that, man, God got me here when he's standing there and his head is about to get chopped off because he loves Jesus. So, man, as I think of, you know, how do we, what do we, where, how do we go home here? To me, I'm just like, okay, Lord, you just want to remind the saints, if I'm looking at this as a first century believer, if I'm looking at it as a 2015 Christian like us, or if I'm looking at it as an unbeliever right now, trying to understand what God is doing here, I want you to know that he's just saying it is true. That Christ is our salvation, right? And who, who needs that reminder? I need that reminder that Christ is my salvation. When, when I do something wrong and I do, I do something evil and if people try to remind you, yeah, you, you, ain't, you haven't changed, you know, or, or, or someone tries to indict you as if, you know, because of your wrongness or what you've done, that's who you are. See, I need to be reminded, man, Christ is my savior. You know what? I'm broken. Yep. I failed you. But Christ is my savior. How many of us need that reminder today? How many of us are you too? You, you, you've looked at your works way too long. You looked at your failures. See, being in a grace-filled body, we want to be a grace-filled body. We need this, right? Over and over again. I love it. I love it when the guy, he gets bitten by the snake. This is Paul, the guy who's offered about 13 books. And, and the guy said, oh, look at him. He's a murderer. He's evil. He's going to die. And he doesn't get offended. I love that Paul, with all his pedigree, doesn't go, man, you call me unrighteous? You could, he could have went through his whole, dude, I can't. You know, after everything jumped off, you know, and he was saved, he could have said, now, what was y'all saying about me? Right? He could have had an issue. I wonder, there's something about when you realize, when you, when you get God's grace and you understand salvation, you understand that, man, you need, you need to remember Jesus, your salvation, that Paul probably was sitting there like, yeah, you're right. But God is my salvation. I wonder if he didn't get caught up. I wonder. You know what? The other thing that I think the, the, the first century Christian was thinking, the, the, the person who, who lives today, they look at that text there that Luke probably wants them to get, is that, man, the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. The gospel is going forth. This is, this is what we're supposed to be about. And see, so we're here, we, we forget to invite people, and, and we get caught up in our laws. I, you know, I, I've confessed that many times with Sarah and I. You know, I, she'll, she'll convict me because we'll go a month and be like, man, when's the last time we had somebody over for dinner? You know? Um, and I have to remind myself, well, this is the mission, is that God's word is going forth, that, that, our, that the reason why we exist is to proclaim him. And so, you know, Satan wants you to go, oh, man, don't, don't beat yourself up. You know, there's this grace. Don't, you, you're all right. 
I want to encourage you there's grace, but also, man, I want, to, I want to call you to vision and mission to be proclaiming and saying, Lord, we want to see this room filled out with Christians walking with God, being discipled, growing in their knowledge of the scriptures, loving each other, being in community. We want to see something just supernatural happen in our community, correct? Correct? Well, God wants to, he's encouraging us here that, man, I was trying to show you before I, before I got Paul killed, I wanted to show him that what I told him is happening, that the, the gospel is going for on I, every place I said. I said Jerusalem, I said Judea, I said Samaria, and I said the uttermost parts of the world. Where have you been, Paul? I've been in Jerusalem, I've been in Judea, I've been in Samaria, and I've been to the uttermost parts of the world. What did you see, Paul? I saw you proclaim the Christ in Judea, I saw you proclaim Christ in Jerusalem, I saw you proclaim Christ in Samaria, I saw you proclaim Christ in the uttermost parts of the world. What did you see when you were in those places? I saw Christians in Jerusalem, I saw Christians in Judea, I saw Christians in Samaria, I saw Christians in the uttermost parts of the world. So what am I saying, Paul? You're faithful, God. You are doing it. You are doing what you said you were going to do. And so now we get to get on that mission, right? We get to go and we don't, we're not making something up. We're not trying to help Jesus. Jesus is like, I'm doing it. Go and be a part of that. Enjoy that. So that's our posture. That's what we want to be about as a body, right? So this man, I mean, this, you know, I forgot this morning. I was looking, the Holy Spirit was convicting me. I was going to text some brothers and I forgot. You know what? I'm not going to get down. I'm going to text him next week, and I'm going to call him this week. And I'm, I want to be learning and building my muscle where I'm proclaiming Christ, and I'm inviting people and saying, you need to come and see what God is doing in our body and the community. You need to hear about Jesus. You need to walk with Jesus. Jesus is worthy of your life. So I'm convinced. I'm convinced he wants to remind us that God, God saves, and he saves. He, he's everywhere. He's all over the place doing his thing for his glory. And he wants to use you and me. And then finally... That he will fulfill the plan that he has for your life. You hear me? He will fulfill. And this is a hard one. Because Romans 12, 1 and 2, this is a hard one. One of my, one of my life verses. It's hard because Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, you know, by the, you know don't be conformed to the world, but, uh, be, by the trans- by, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? And then it, then it says something at the end, right, that you may be able to discern God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right? Now, I love the passage because the passage really indicts you and me. Because the way we like to do Christianity is we want supernatural discernment. We want God to reveal himself to us. We want to experience supernatural power and be walking around and healing people and doing all kinds of stuff and being powerful, you know, and experiencing all this Jesus stuff. And then when God tells us, because we're so spiritual and supernatural, right, then he reveals some stuff to us and he shows us what he wants us to be about. We want to be able to say, nah, I'm okay with that. So we want supernatural discernment. We want supernatural power. But then we want to decide on what we want to do. Right? But God says, that's not how I work. When you look at the text, what he says, he says, I do give supernatural power. I do do supernatural things. And I want to use you supernaturally. He wants to have some of us in this room healing people. He wants to see miraculous things happen in our community. But he says, before I do that, I want you to be dedicated. See, he says, dedication comes before discernment. We want discernment, then we'll tell you if we like it. And then we'll say yes or no. Right? That's what we want. Give me discernment first, Jesus. And then if I like it, I'll be dedicated. He says, no, 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 no. I'm God. Be dedicated, and then I'll give you discernment, right? That's what God does. So, right? So in this text here, I'm convinced that he's trying to say, hey, when he talks about planning for your life, the hardest thing there is that, man, when we really look at our flesh, we're like, well, am I going to really like the life that God wants for me? 
that's all we that's all we don't be that's all we not dedicated. Can we keep it real up in here? We like, man, he won't have me preaching the gospel places, have people stay at my house, give my money away. You know how God is, right? That's how we get. And we get nervous because we know that when it's really about God's plan, it's not about us. But see, now this is where the faith comes in. But that's where true joy is. So you and I have to, we have to like just have a paradigmatic shift. We have to have a washing of our lives of thinking that there's joy found outside of Christ. See, that's what hinders us from being fully dedicated because we really think, no, 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 no. I know that God is, here's the thing. We know God is faithful to his plan. Right? And so God is he's like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. So I want to propose to you, he is faithful. He will accomplish what he wants for you for his plan. Now, for a person who doesn't want to be obedient, you want to kind of do your thing sometimes. And I don't know how he handles that one. But I can tell you with great audacity, you submit to Christ. You dedicate your life to him. You walk with him. And you experience God's grace. And you, and you confess and you repent sin when you're sinning. You, you just enjoy Christ. You will, he will guide you. He will do things supernatural in your life. He will use you and your life will be rich and it'll be crazy. and It'll be adventurous because God is on the move. I guarantee you that. Guarantee you that. That's what he did to Paul. Paul was dedicated. And then he gave him all kind of discernment. All kind of supernatural power to accomplish God's vision. Right? Let's be that people, guys. My prayer is that, man, we would be able to, just like Paul, be able to sit in a place, you know, you know, maybe we die early and we're 38. We die a little later. We're 40 something. We die later and we're 60 or 70. Whatever the stage is for our life, God's plan for our life. We don't know what it looks like. My prayer is that we can all sit and go, wow. And now I'm at Rome. I'm here. It's where God wants me. My prayer is that we won't be sitting there going, man, I wasted my life. I trusted in money. I trusted in friendships. I trusted in women or men. I trusted in my, my intellect. My, I trusted in my athletics. I trusted in all these things. And man, it just didn't fulfill. Man, I wish I can go back. My prayer is now. Everybody in this room is that you will see, man, today is a day where you can just say, I confess, Lord. Here's where I've just been nervous to dedicate myself to you. He hears you. His arms are open right now. He said, I want you just to trust me. Be filled with the spirit. Confess that stuff. Repent. Say, today I'm going to take those steps. You know, I haven't read the Bible in two weeks. You know, by God's grace, give me the strength to just open up your word and just, just reestablish that, that connection with the Savior. Lord, give me, Lord, I haven't done a spiritual discipline. I haven't fasted in two years, Lord. Teach me what it looks like to fast and, and to trust you and to just be hearing from you spiritually. Lord, God wants to reconnect us. He wants to connect us to be enjoying him. Let's be a body where we're not playing. All right? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for the testimony that you give us in the word. Pray that we would be encouraged and spurred on. Pray that no one in this room would leave still dead in sin and separated from the life of God, but you would allow us to see that salvation is in Christ alone, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. Thank you that you are lifted up. Pray that we would look to you. Encourage the saints, Lord. There's people in here right now who are like, man, I want to, I, I want to trust you, Lord. I'm nervous. Lord, give us that strength. We can't do it. Give us the strength, Lord, to, 
to see you for who you are. Give us the grace, Lord, as we have denied you and rebelled. Thank you that you're merciful and that you're ready to hug us, Lord. I pray that everyone in this room would experience that hug, will experience that rest that comes with the Savior. Renew our hearts and our minds. Give us a passion to tell people about you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.